Hi, this is Kalia. And this is Chris. And this is It's, it's a, a Queer, queer thing. thing. On this show, we focus on politics, civil rights, news, and entertainment. And on this show, we have special guests and interviews focusing on issues relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. So let's get to it. Chris. Hey, Kaylee. Happy August. Happy August. Happy Pride in August. Oh, okay. We're going to go there. Okay. Happy Pride in August. Is there a Pride event in August? We'll have to check on that. Yeah. You want to hear something funny? I would love to. I was only moderately prepared for today's uh, recording. And so I just now was like, I'm pretty sure there's a Pride event in August somewhere like San Jose, somewhere that I've been. And I went to Google and I typed Pride in August. And the very first thing that came up on my screen, obviously, because Google knows me, it says August 17th, it's a queer thing, LGBTQ radio (laughs) show. (laughs) Oh, I don't see that. But okay, I see. Austin, Austin, Texas has a pride celebration in August. Let me yeah, see. And Silicon Valley Pride is the 21st of August. Oh, which, that must be hopping a bunch of computer nerds out there in rainbow shirts. It's well, it's Plaza de Cesar Chavez. It's in San Jose. That's the one that's, oh. the, that's the pride that I went to for years and years. It was okay. the one in San Jose. Then and that's in it, August. Okay. In August on the 21st. All so right. there you go. So it's still pride. There's always pride. Pride is eternal. Huzzah. (laughs) (laughs) And that was definitely not rehearsed, people. (laughs) Definitely not. Okay. We have a really exciting show today, and we have some interviews and a very specific special topic that we want to get into. But before we get into that, those serious issues, we're going to have a little bit of punchy fun at the top of the show today. And we're going to talk about Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) Oh, God. And country music. <laughs> oh, God. not to- together or separate? Um, not together. So this is... Let's write a country song about Rudy Giuliani. Oh, that would be really cool. We should. But we should. as I was pulling up a link about something else right before we hit record, so this, this news story is from 4 o'clock p.m., uh, today, so not very long ago. Anyways, and this is the uh, the headline. Ruby Giuliani calls Matt Damon anti-gay slur, makes anti-Semitic sex jokes in recorded conversations. <laughs> oh my God, it's a sitcom waiting to happen. <gasps> yeah, so I, apparently- my, my, um, my headline, it's, I just pulled up the only one I've heard about today after you said you want to talk about this, was lurid details emerge in Giuliani's sexual abuse lawsuit. Wow, yeah. So hey, we got a lot, let's go. He's having a bad week. Apparently, there was a lot of things- life in these uh transcripts but one of them is he calls matt damon the the f word the the slang the slang i it's so ridiculous you guys the I'm gonna... slang that what's the f slang word for matt damon no no faggot he calls him a faggot or a fag matt damon think. yes okay here here's the quote are you ready for this yes matt, i'd love to hear it matt damon is a fag matt damon is also five two eyes are blue coochie 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 coo <laughs> What the hell are you reading from? <laughs> what is the name of? Oh my God! That's no way. You're you're reading off the Onion or something? No, it's a transcript of a recording from 2019. All right. Well, hang on just a second. I'm gonna find. He insults that shit right the Oppenheimer. Now. You want me to send you the link? I'll send you no, the link. No, I can find it. I'm sure there. There's not seven hundred stories that cover this. <laughs> oh Jesus! There it is. 
with a very disturbing picture of Rudy Giuliani and a very hot picture of Matt Damon. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> Matt Damon is a fag. Matt Damon is also 5'2". I, you weren't kidding. I, I, I'm saying. Well, the I, country song just writes itself at this I, point. I mean, he's practically done all the work. but He's done all the work. Oh, yeah. because he Matt Damon played gay characters in Beyond right. the Candelabra and the talented Mr. Ripley. Okay, now I get it. Oh, and the they they make sure to to clear up that the actor is reported to be five foot ten, not five two. <laughs> That's very important, I'm sure. Yeah. To Matt Damon. <laughs> he was a little hotter when he was shorter. I like short guys, but whatever. Tom Cruise was over there going, Oh, he's only five two. Well, I know, really. <laughs> Let me get on, on this. Let Tom Cruise parachute in on this story. That's his favorite thing to do is to parachute in. Exactly. Oh, and then it gets into the, uh, what is this about big tits? Oh, my gosh. It's, yeah, it's a lot of recording. Anyways, a lot of embarrassing things. Um, I, although, I don't know if the man is self-aware enough to be embarrassed by He's his, not. Yeah, and I so. think until the indictment this week, which he is likely to be a part of, I don't, I think he felt the same way as Trump, that he's untouchable and he can say and do whatever he wants. And it doesn't matter because no one's ever going to call him on his shit. So, yeah. Anyways, the oh transcripts are of the recordings made by Noel Dumphy. They include rants against Jewish people and slurs against Damon, et cetera, et cetera. It's all part of a sexual abuse lawsuit filed by a former employee. So there you go. That's exciting. Isn't that a way to open the show? People? <laughs> I what is that German word when you kind of get a little bit of pleasure from somebody else's Gesundheit? Uh, is that Gesundheit? No, I don't think so. It's like Schroden, Schroden. Oh yeah, or... yeah, yeah. I know that word. I can't think of it either. Yes. Schroeder's cat in a box or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Schrodinger's displacement <laughs> of embarrassment. No, I, oh, I have Lord. that, whatever that German thing is, because I don't like Ruby Giuliani, and so I'm glad that these things have come out. But at the same time, it's. I don't know if it's ultimately helpful or not, because again, like you said, he's not going to be embarrassed by it. And we already knew he was a tool. So I don't know, but it's, it's schadenfreude or schadenfreude. I don't know how to pronounce it. The emotional experience of pleasure in response to another's misfortune. Schadenfreude? Shaden, S-C-S-C-H-A-D. Okay. Matthew's trying to tell me from the other room with my headphones on. I thought he might be. Schadenfreude. <laughs> there it Schadenfreude. is. Schadenfreude. Oh, you, is Matthew. it because, is, does Freud have to be part of this it because Freud's okay? I don't know. I don't know. But I have heard that. So there you go. That's a. That's I feel a Schadenfreude about Rudy Giuliani. Am I using it properly in a sentence? I don't yes, know. Yes, I think so. Not. Probably. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> well, and the other laugh riot this week is Trump being indicted for a third time. I mean, that's just yeah. a laugh riot. And this one seems like really strong, and we're waiting for a fourth one. So. Yep. And yet, you know, every time I look online at anything, his followers are like, this is all BS. But anyway, I don't want to soil the lovely Giuliani story with uh, with Trump. Yeah, the, the story I was actually pulling up <laughs> when when my eye caught that was there's been a couple articles recently written about country music and gay songs. So why don't you start us off by talking about the small town controversy and then we can build into the um the children's okay, so part of jason it. aldean who is just a major tool which i have pointed out in the past he wrote a song he didn't write the song actually somebody else wrote the song it's called try that in a small town i urge you to look up the lyrics to it forget listening to the song just look up the lyrics because it's interesting about 
country music is, and I'm, you know, all music is kind of this way, but country music is especially this way. You know, country songs gen tend to have the same kind of tune and it's, you know, it's kind of a feel good tune. Um, and we all can like country music just by hearing the tune. So the words sometimes escape us. I always look up the words to a song. Like in, in other words, Dolly Parton's recent song, World on Fire. Everybody was like, yay, Dolly Parton wrote this song. Look up the lyrics to that song. It's not that much of a good time. Uh, she kind of, you know, dances around uh, accepting people and tolerance. And, uh, and I love Dolly to death. I'm not downing Dolly, but it just shows that when you read the lyrics, it can be different. So Jason Aldean's song says things like, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not going to read the lyrics out front outright, but he's saying uh, the whole basis of the song is, you know, this is what's happening in the country and it's disgraceful. But if you do that in a small town, you're not going to get away with it. And one of the parts of the song is, um, you know, if you come from my guns in a small town, don't go far too far down the road because you're not going to make it. So technically what that means is come from my gun. I'm going to come out and shoot you and kill you. And we know this is true because of all the people that have been abused, Black Americans that have been abused and murdered because they were simply jogging or walking. And then there's other places in the song where he says, if you, you can't burn a flag in a small town, well, that means you can't follow the Supreme Court ruling, which says it's perfectly legal and, and tolerated and upheld by the Constitution to burn a flag. So the problem is he, this song has gone to number one because of all this controversy, because it was Again, a song written by somebody else back in May that wasn't a big deal until he made a video about it in front of a courthouse where a man was lynched and there was a riot. But now it's gone to number one, which this is the thing I have with it. I don't care if the song is number one. And I certainly don't want the song censored or him censored. Country music television won't play the song. This is country music television, not liberal arts television. Country music television won't play the song. So that tells you something. But the thing is, it's been driven to number one by people and at the same time as it's been driven to number one, they're denying that it's about prejudice and gun violence, you know, hatred of other people, which is exactly what this song is about. And I, you know, I won't say I grew up in a small town, but I grew up in Clovis, which is not what it is now. But I think in my day, I would say it was a small town and I've lived in other small towns. I've never, ever felt comfortable in a small town for one second because I'm a gay man. I always felt threatened and I always hid my identity because even if I lived in a small town with uh, a partner, I hid my identity because I don't trust what happens in a small town. If you tell anybody who's an ethnicity or a woman or an LGBTQ person who's lived in a small town, they're going to tell you it's not safe in a small town. So what is interesting is that on the heels of that, right in the middle of this particular controversy, Tyler Childers released a song called In Your Love. And the video is of a gay couple who fall in love, two Appalachian coal miners who fall in love and then freaking move to the country to live out their lives together as farmers. And it is incredibly moving and it's incredibly sad. And it, I mean, I, I hate the fact that one of them has to die, but they lived a long time together. So like the idea here is that they found each other and then they had a full romantic loving life together in the country and the fact that this came out pretty much right on the heels of the other one was pretty good and, and he doesn't die because he was beaten up in a small no. town or anything he dies from disease because he's, he works in the coal mines, coal mines. Right? so yeah, yeah it, it's it definitely has a very different connotation the poet laureate of kentucky silas house did you just say poet laureate of kentucky yes there is a poet laureate of kentucky All he right. and his husband 
journalist Jason Kyle Howard were our friends with with Tyler Childers. And Tyler told them that he wanted them to help come up with a story to go along with this song. And he said that he wanted it to be a gay love story because his first cousin is like a brother to him is gay. And he wanted to have his cousin, his gay cousin, see himself in a country music video. So Silas House and his husband came up with the story and then they filmed this beautiful thing. So that's interesting. So the song wasn't written with gay people in mind. That's, well, I mean, the, the lead Tyler Childers is gay, right? He must be. Or is he? No, I don't think so. I guess I assumed. Nope. I think that he wrote the song and wanted he wrote the song and then as he was deciding how it was going to be out in the world he said he wanted to make sure that it was done as a gay love story so i feel like we are in sync tonight because all i did was type in a couple of words and i'm on the story that you are referencing (laughs) right now but he's he's married to sonora may who's a a woman the couple have a daughter together so yeah no he's well there goes that theory so that's that kind of makes it even more beautiful because i mean if if the first of all the video is stunning i was i watched it at lunch yesterday and i got meant to watch it on the weekend and i forgot and kaylee reminded me about it and so of course stupid me on my lunch hour put on my headphones and watch this video and i'm crying in my little cubicle at work and then i sent it to james and he said thank you now i'm crying i'm like I'm gonna make, it's gonna make you cry it's a beautiful beautiful video um it touched me in a lot of ways because my second husband died of AIDS. So he died of illness. And so I connected with all this right away. But really what this talks about is what it's like to be gay in a small town. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very sweet and it's very loving. And I'm very happy that that exists in the world and it's getting a lot of attention. And I, we will see if CMT continues to play it because of course there's going to be backlash, but it gives me hope. (laughs) And the other thing that gives me hope Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So sorry. I have to do this. You guys can't see your face, but I can. I'm afraid <laughs> of what's coming. I'm going to read you the lyrics of another song. Another. Oh my God. Another country song that is very popular right now. Okay. Are you ready? We should make oh. sure that this has an explicit warning. <laughs> oh, we do. We do. We can okay. say what the fuck we want. Go ahead. Um, quote, he's bouncing off my booty cheeks. I love the way he rides. I can hardly breathe when he's pumping deep inside. That is the country song Good Looking by the country artist Dixon Dallas. <laughs> Dixon Dallas? You sure that's not by... Yeah. Um... No, it's an alter ego created by Jack Hill, who's a rapper and singer from Alabama. And other than his Dallas persona, there are no indications that he's gay. Still, regardless of whether or not he's straight, he knows how to write one hell of a gay bop. I'm reading this, obviously, from somewhere. So... <laughs> It's a few other songs, including like Whiskey, which includes lyrics like Make a Little Love, Show You What My Booty Do, Boy Turn Around, Let Me Hit It From The Back. Yeah, I know you love it. Boy when I do Turn it like Around, that. Let Me Hit It From The Back. Is that what you just uh-huh, said? Uh-huh. I'm, uh-huh. I'm in. I'm in. There's also an artist called Alex Anderson, who is a Midwestern pop punk band, Brook Lane. He's also created his own gay country persona, Willie Strokem. His name's Willie Strokem. <laughs> Anyways, there's like country music's doing some really weird stuff right now wow. because, yeah. Uh, this is interesting. Little Nas X had a huge number one hit that was a country music crossover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what is going on in country music? I kind of like I, it. I know. I feel like country music is having a moment. It's having a little bit maybe of a personality like crisis. <laughs> and right. I'm here for it for sure. Oh, yeah. I think 
it's it's oversimplistic to say we can see what's happening in society emulated by country music or by you know one network of television or by you know one particular thing but it is telling that country music is having this crisis kind of this moment while at the same time our country is having it too. I think it's it's and a lot of entertainment is the mirror that reflects and then also shows us where we're going next. You know, that's the well. The job I mean, of media, but country so. music is is right up there with and when and professional sports is starting to have this moment very slowly. But there, we had a coach that came out as gay this week. You know, at country music and and sports; those are the two areas that you know the gay world hasn't been able to really touch, and now. It's kind of, I won't say it's exploding, although I'm sure Mr. Strokem <laughs> would like to write the song about it exploding, or Mr. Dallas. But, I mean, sports a little bit, and country music a little bit more. So in five years, who knows? Fascinating. It's, it's I mean, a no lot of one's fun gayer than Little Nas X, and he had a <laughs> huge number one hit that went over to the country charts. Oh, yeah. And then that was very controversial, too, because was it supposed to be on this billboard chart or that billboard chart and all the all of the stuff? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's it's our society is definitely evolving. So and we have we've had lesbian country artists, um, but I don't remember that. This is always the case with the LGBTQ plus community. The the women are always able to come out first and do their thing, even if they're not doing their thing as lesbians, trans or whatever. They're, you know, able to hold hands and kiss up on each other and all that. But men are always the that's the one thing it takes a long time to push through. And I can't believe I just said that, but <laughs> <laughs> it takes longer yeah, for men I mean, to get into the scene. For sure. For sure. Indigo girls. Anyways. Right. Right. OK, so I can't think of a way to transition out of uh, gay country music and into the the next part of our show. But let me tell you a little bit about the next part of our show and what we're doing. Today, we have an episode where we're going to be focusing actually the whole month, but specifically in today's episode, we are focusing on transgender issues. And today we are going to be talking to two parents, two mothers of trans sons who transitioned started during puberty and went through young adulthood and are both young adults. Coincidentally, they're both mothers of 19-year-old trans men, which I thought was just not planned. We just reached yeah, out random. into the community. And that, I mean, maybe that tells you something about um, my friends and the ages of their children. But anyways, so we're very excited to talk to those parents. And then in our live show later in the month, we are going to be talking to some other voices from the trans community. So don't worry, we're not having cis people talk about the trans experience. We're having cis people talk about their experience with the trans community and the evolution of their acceptance. Yeah, and and this all came to be because I went to Monterey with my family and my sister-in-law is having some experiences in her family and she wanted to sit down and talk about it and we will have her interview on the next show. But we decided when we had her interview, let's make the whole month about trans families, trans people and trans law and all of this stuff. Right, and I think it's important because you know, if you're in the community and if you do activism, you know, oh, there's Trans Day of Visibility, there's Trans Day of Remembrance. And then that's kind of it. If you're not, you know, a trans person or involved with a trans person, the, the subject matter, it basically just becomes headlines on your Google alerts and that's it. But we wanted to take some time and, and hold some space for those voices and those stories 
outside of the expected times of the calendar year and 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 really let let those those places and those those voices those stories you know kind of sit in a different place so yeah and our, our, our goal with these shows this month is to really look at how trans people come out to their families uh and how the families react to that negatively positively educationally learning how to deal with the pronouns and the gender changes and all of that stuff because this is still new it's fairly new to a lot of people and we have to we have to educate people about it with all of that being said let's go ahead and play our first interview it is with stacy and stacy was surprised when her child came out to her so that if you are a parent who thinks this is not going to happen to me i would totally know or I would, I would encourage you to listen to Stacy's words in the next little segment. And then we're going to come back. We'll chat a little bit about it. And then we will play Jane's interview. And Jane, by the way, always knew. So we've got a little bit of both worlds here. But let's let's take it away. Past versions of us. Oh, and real quick, before we hit this, I'm so sorry, everybody. I got a new computer. My settings were all wonky. My sound quality is absolutely garbage in the episode in the segments that we're going to play these pre-recorded interviews the, it is um it is uncomfortably bad so i just Oof. i apologize and, my, and, and mine has been bad and other stuff so kaylee and i we we're still working through this and trying to perfect it and hope and it will it's already gotten better so yeah for sure okay so here we go my name is stacy i am a straight ally parent of a trans boy can you tell us about the experience of knowing that your son was trans? Did he come out to you? Was it a shock or had, is this one of those cases where you'd always known, you know, were you aware of transgenderism and trans community before your son? Yeah, it was, I don't know. I mean, retrospectively, it, I could see where the dots connected, but yeah, when he came out to us, I think he was 12 or 13 and I was shocked, you know, but like I said, retrospectively, when he was little, he always was drawn towards, you know, I hate to say it, but typical boy stuff as far as like the color blue, wanted a blue bike. He had chosen a particular backpack that was not, you know, it wasn't Hello Kitty or anything like that. And um, he was actually harassed on the bus in like the fourth grade. Um, somebody said, girls don't have transformers backpacks and ripped it. And so that was a big traumatizing moment for him. But yeah, he came out to us when he was 12 or 13. And of course we went through the whole, you know, it's a trend, you know, it's a fad, whatever. But the odd thing was, is that we were living in a, a foothill community. We ran into Karen Adele Scott. And I had been following her story and I was just so touched when I met her, my heart, I just, I, I was nearly crying. And this was a good two to three years before this whole transition started with, within our family. And I couldn't understand why really, but, and so we actually helped start a P flag group in Oakhurst. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe subconsciously I knew then or something but I mean it was still came as a shock when when it was actually brought to the table but yeah you know what I'm I'm really kind of shocked by is that a girl can't have transformers things 
in those years, well, pre-2000. You have to, re- you I have mean, to remember, this was a conservative mountain community. So, What community were you in, If you uh, did you say, or do you want to say? Coarse Gold, Oakhurst area. Okay, yeah. that's what I figured. So um, I don't know. I, I just, I guess I assume, I would think if boys had Barbie, I okay, I can see that. But girls having Transformers, I never even imagined that. That's it's interesting. Just, no, that's, yeah, that was just the... I mean, Ella, in pre-K, here in Fresno, Ella got teased because she had Thomas the Tank Engine shoes yeah. in preschool. Wow. Yeah, wow. well, and unfortunately it comes, you know, it begins with the home environment, you know, the bias begins there, mm-hmm. obviously. Oh, of course, but, yeah. And then, of course, we moved to Clovis in 2014 and, you know, not really thinking... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, one step up well, from Oakhurst yeah, right there. Um, but it was because both my husband and my jobs were in Clovis. So um, it just made sense. And so within the Clovis school system there, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah I, mean, I went to the Clovis school system. I mean, many decades ago, but I understand. So, yeah, that's that's where we are. So it's 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 I mean, obviously disheartening that component this the teasing the bullying but it is heartening that he felt comfortable that he could come and tell you that you know oh god yes yes and so you must have had a an open you know relationship with him and as well as you know he knew it was a safe place so yes you know for parents who might be thinking about this how how did you make sure that it was a safe space for him even though it wasn't really on your radar can you talk us through that a little bit the thing that um, helped him feel safe is that I have very dear, close gay friends, gay married couple, Uncle Ken and Aunt Bobby. That's what he calls them. And uh, so he he was aware that my husband and I were pro. I like to call it pride, <laughs> rainbow pride, because I just can't get the letters right. But um, so I know he felt safe about that. He knew we were not your typical mountain thinking you know we stand out everywhere so which you know (laughs) well did you have any indication before he came out to you what were your thoughts about not necessarily his gender but his sexuality because that's where people go first did you have thoughts about oh our child is special in this that way no because you know it that age for i think particularly girls is very volatile there you know nobody warned you about the preteen nonsense okay so no so the, the, the so that means when he came out to you you were completely surprised yeah well yeah okay yeah i was and shocked my first, my initial response was oh god what did i do wrong oh you know oh now that's yeah. interesting because you're a you're an LGBT friendly person, mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus friendly person. That's the weird thing about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And we need to talk about that because that means that even parents who are LGBTQ plus friendly and have the friends in the community, still your child comes out to you as gay. And I can't say gay in this case, but trans or let's say gay, trans, whatever you still because my mother thought this. Of course, this was you know, 40 years ago, what did I do wrong? I'm curious how you feel about the fact that you've had that thought as a progressive 
accepting person. Yes. I, yeah, I was shocked of for myself, you know, of myself. Um, but, you know, because maybe I truly didn't understand. I mean, I think I understood that there, the brain works differently. You know, it's a, there's a different click going on in there. And so I thought maybe I did something in the, uh, in while he was in utero or something and glitched something. Would you, would you have thought this if he just came out or at that time, she just came out as gay or lesbian? Would you have had the same thoughts? Do you think? I think maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah, the, the, the gender dysphoria though is a, is a really, to me, that's a, it's a different thing because I don't know why. I don't know why I qualify that. It, is, it seems a little different. I think there's a um, lot of social stuff that, that goes into that. that it's, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, def it's definitely seen as a different quote unquote issue. Yes, yeah. I think so. And because I, you know, I was aware of, of gay and lesbian people and bi people, but I, the transgender platform, what do you want to call it? hadn't really been in the forefront of even I think the uh, ally community you know it was relatively new I mean I remember growing up in the 70s and hearing about you know some people went to what was it Sweden or Switzerland to get a sex change operation and you know right. but there's so much more education now and mm -hmm. I'm I'm actually grateful that this occurred during the, the climate that it has, you know, there's obviously there are, you know, huge leaps being made in the rights and care and understanding of transgender people, but it's uh, definitely better than it was when say I was a teen or even you, I mean, I'm assuming you're younger than me. Anyway, Chris, I think we might be in the same ballpark, but you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't bring up age. Are we talking age? age? Are we talking age? It's, a con it's, it's on every show, Stacey, where she brings up my age. I'm 61, and Kalia is 25, at least in her head. I don't know how old she thinks she is, but she's really 54. But let's, let's talk about it. Oh, I can oh, mute no. you. You know, I have you can You technology. can. You probably could. Who edits, but who edits this, by the way? <laughs> well, she does. She's obviously, I, we both edit, but obviously she's going to do this one. Um, so, Stacey, I just want you to know that, you know, I don't know if you know, but Kaylee and I ran a LGBTQ plus community center in Fresno for many years. And we had uh, transgender volunteers. We had transgender board members. We served trans the transgender community with services and and uh, support groups and all that. And and I I don't want to speak for Kaylee, but I'll just speak for myself. When when this whole thing started for us, which was back in 2010, 11, 12, when we were opening the community center, I thought I was smart enough and progressive enough to understand what anything in the LGBTQ plus community would mean. But I didn't get the transgender thing either, because even though I've been out for you know decades, I, I at first pretended to get it. And then I realized after talking to some of my transgender friends, I didn't get it at all. And I had to do research to understand it. So even those of us in the community that are part of the community and, and you as an ally, but especially those of us, we don't get it all the time either. We have to research it. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's the thing. And, you know, you see things come up when you're connected to like minds on social media and stuff. And a couple of things would come up. And there's this, the one story about a, a child that it was like being left handed, which I am, you know, back in even as far back as the 50s, whatever, it was wrong. So they tried to change it. But I mean, that's a that's a minor analogy but it's like no that's what that's just what it is that's a great example because that's something that's immutable it's in your it's in your dna you can't change it and people thought even that was something that was considered and i i grew i was born in 61 so that happened a little bit before my time but i remember a little bit of that in the 60s where left-handed people were considered freaks so to speak my i remember my mom i was very very young and i was sitting at the table with her and i was coloring and i picked up a color crayon and I had it in my left hand and, she, and I remember this it was one of my earliest memories her saying is that the hand you want to use and I said yeah and she said okay <laughs> so even then yeah. and that would have been like 1968 69 something like that so you know it even that and then I also equate equate the dysphoria as far as my son detesting his breasts so much as I was always a very heavy child. And at one point I had weight loss surgery. And after the weight loss surgery, I began to lose weight. I was more attractive per se. Um, and I, it made me in a totally different class of people. I was completely treated differently. I don't know if you can understand where I'm going with my thought process here, but but that 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 change in behavior for of others came right away as soon as you lost the weight, right? Exactly. I mean, and like, there was no questions. It was completely based on how you looked. Yeah. It's like how come? Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it's kind of the same kind of thing as far as hating the way you look, but mm-hmm. it's not, I guess. No, but I think there's an overlap of experience there too, where, you know, you, you do this external change, but you're still the same internal person, but the world treats you very differently based on these very cosmetic things on the outside. And that reinforces or definitely can reinforce like a sense of cognitive dissonance about, but it's still me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I understand. How come you didn't, how come you didn't respond to me like this before? I was this. Mm-hmm. And-, and you know what else? I think that, it, it, I, and I don't want to speak for you, but I, I was a heavy child too. And I think in your, and I, in your head, regardless of the weight loss, you're going to always think of yourself as a heavy person, mm-hmm. right? So no matter what you look like in the mirror and what you have, how much weight you've lost in your head, you're still the heavy person. So they're responding to you as a thin person, but in your mind, you're a heavy person. And that relates to a transgender experience. And I don't want to speak for transgender people. I'm just talking about what I've spoken to them about, which is they have one look outside and one feeling inside. And it doesn't matter. Yes, you nailed it. That's exactly it. I think that's exactly it. So how was the coming out process for your son with your extended family? Was your extended family supportive? Did it take them a while to get there? Um, Well, my grandparents at the time were both in their late 80s. And my grandmother was in the early stages of dementia. So uh, (laughs) probably to her benefit. And my grandfather was hesitant, but he did use the correct pronouns, but occasionally used his dead name. And 
my mom has always been a very open mind. Her best friend in high school was a gay man and she's always been very open and everything, but she did feel a sense of loss of losing her granddaughter when this came about. I mean, to the point of, you know, like grief, you know, she felt like she, she, like her granddaughter had, had passed away, which made me just go, ouch, you know. That's understandable, though. That happens to parents with gay kids, too. Mm -hmm. They feel like, you know, not only did they lose their their kid as they were known, but they also feel like in many cases, especially with gay boys, I'm not going to have children. I'm not going to have grandchildren. Yeah. So that 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 idea is gone. So that makes sense. Yeah. So it it was that was um that's where we were there. She my mom for a little bit wouldn't say his name, would only used a shortened version of it, which we had been calling him before the transition because his new name is similar sort of other family members my sister her kids were kind of quite frankly dickheads about it but they were hardcore mountain as well my sister has since come around and so has her daughter and you know they're very cool about it now but yeah there were some rough times so your child is 20 now did you say will be next month yes Will be. Okay. So he was, was there any intervention with medication when he came out as trans? You mean to slow it down or I mean to like, like puberty blockers or no. anything like that? Nope. Mm-mm. I mean, he was probably already through puberty cause he was what? Uh, how old? Oh, he's 13. So he may, he's probably not through puberty yet. Right. Nothing, no, no external influences until he had his first testosterone shot. So when this all happened, you obviously, as a as an ally to the LGBT community, you, you knew, you know, that there were resources out there. But what resources do you remember? What did you do? You know, where did you go for help? Was this a lot of Googling or were there people you, you know, could lean on? The and- people at UU were fantastic. I don't know if we'd have gotten as smooth a transition, for lack of a better word, without them. They were very supportive, had all the resources we, you know, because they knew people, were people. And, and yeah, just and then, of course, my gay friends, um, we I chatted with Karen a couple times for resources. We got hooked up with uh, UCSF. The Was it Benioff Children's Center? Yeah. Found a therapist the whole bit. So, yeah, those were the those were the greatest things. What about support groups for for your child? Were there support groups that he could go to with uh, that would put him in the environment of other transgender children who were experiencing this? Um, I don't recall him having any trans friends, just really super cool homeschool classmates. And I, going to homeschool was a huge game changer, too, because he wasn't, you know, being forced into that pigeonhole. Right. And right. um that was huge, huge. Yeah, just the the people through, like I said, the church and um, the general community. We would go to Pride. Yeah, and his his general group of friends were just accepting, and they they helped him choose his name, and you know they they nurtured and supported him before he even came to us. And I think there was one child that later on came to be non-binary but I don't remember but they were I mean 
as far as I knew, no, they were either straight or possibly questioning and they were just supportive of him. He had his own little tribe there that were backing him up. And so he was able to come to us and we just kind of, it was a little bit rocky, but it was, it, you know, retrospectively, I think it really flowed, really flowed. So do you remember, you mentioned pride. Do you remember the first pride that you took your son to? Oh man! Was, and was this was this before or after he came out? Oh, to you? before, long before. We would. Oh, it okay. was a thing. We would come down off the mountain. <laughs> we wanted to go to Pride, <laughs> you know. I'm a, a '80s tower rat, so you know that was where you go, and it was just always a blast. So I think he also saw the support, you know, us supporting that. Yeah, that, that's why I'm asking because the one of the first trans people I knew that. Uh, reached out to me through the community center who ended up transitioning and is perfectly happy now. I I talked to her for a year, maybe on the phone and through email before I actually met her. And she met me at one of the pride parades at Fresno. And it, I, I will never forget this, the look on her face when she saw all these people. I mean, they're not all part of the community, right. but they're allies and part of the community. She was blown away by that. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It's just an incredible feeling to be there. I have to admit, I've, it's often crossed my mind, man, I wish I was gay so I could be really <laughs> part of this community, you know, because it's just, yeah, yeah. it's just fantastic. And in fact, um, I think it was 2016. Yeah. It was, yeah. 2016. I think uh, we, my son and I went with a group of friends from where I worked. We went up to the pride festival at san francisco and that was just that was like big candy that was you know i think that's the first time he's, he actually saw a penis in public at least i hope um, but, um that was an amazing experience that was an amazing experience and that was that was you know after he came out to us so cool yeah so yeah freaking love pride i just wish it wasn't so hot Every time this year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that they started it in, you know, like well, San Francisco with its pride because it's never all that hot in San Francisco. Exactly. Right? They don't. Yeah. They don't mind. They don't mind. If if we started pride in Fresno, we could have uh, put it in like April. Yeah, um, or February. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it's Stonewall and it's it's a yeah, 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 of but, course. But yeah, I, I joke. I joke. So, but now your son is thriving. I want to end this on the positive. Oh note. my gosh. He is amazing, amazing. I know he would have been, if he hadn't been, had gender dysphoria, I know he would have been amazing anyway. But if he hadn't come out to us, you know, I mean, as soon as he was accepted and we started the journey, oh my God, he has just turned into, I, I know part of this is a mom thing, but he has just turned into one of the most amazing, he's just blossomed. He's he's incredible. I love that kid and I get compliments about him all the time. And he's just yeah, I'm so happy that we've gone on this journey because he is just amazing. I can't imagine. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, because beforehand, you know, he was a depressed little kid pretty much. Then after we started the process, I mean, just, you know, prior to the injections and the top surgery and all that, he just became started just 
I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I'm doing this with my hands, but that's not, he just <laughs> has grown and expanded and- We won't be able to see that, but she's doing a little jazz hand. <laughs> yeah, right yeah, there, so blossoming. I think that's sign language for yeah. blossoming so and what, exploding yeah. joy. So let me ask you this, as we're coming to a close here, there's lots of parents out there that are experiencing this completely new having their kids come out as trans and and like i said most of us don't have the education we should about transgender people what would be your advice to the average couple of parents out there first and foremost do yourself a little research and support them regardless of what the outcome is going to be they are going to benefit far more from your support and your trust than they are you trying to naysay, talk it down, minimize it. Because if you do that, you may not have that child to love afterward. That's the biggest thing, definitely. Exactly, exactly. And you may end up with a kid that is far better than you expected a straight kid to be, so. <laughs> yeah, thank you, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you, yeah. And not to mention, it's your you know open ticket to play in the rainbow. <laughs> yeah there you go there you go yeah. awesome stacy thank you so much for your time and thank you so much i'm i'm so excited that we were able to chat with you and i oh and the other thing is too ucsf benioff is an amazing resource also so wonderful thank you thank you thank you so much again though for your time appreciate it i'll see you again thank okay. you okay bye-bye stacy all right all right bye-bye Okay, so thank you, Stacy, for doing that interview with us. Again, what we're trying to do is highlight at this, at least with these two interviews we're doing tonight, uh, what the parents and the families of trans kids go through when they discover that their kids are trans and the genders change and the pronouns change. Um, she, Stacy, talked about Pride that they had been at Pride many, many times. So this is an an accepting family that this happened to. But still, even with accepting families. There are issues and learning curves. And what Kaylee and I have talked about in the previous show was learning curves. There's always a learning curve. So oftentimes there are trans kids that come out and they immediately, because they're younger and they've been exposed to more a more liberal environment online and in social media, they immediately want their parents and their families to go, oh, we accept this. Everything's fine. I now know how to identify you and what pronoun to give to you. And that's not true. Uh, even as the kids, even gay kids or lesbian kids or bisexual kids, they all have a learning curve that they have to get to until they come out. And then once they come out, the parents and the families begin their learning curve, even if they already knew about their or su suspected that their kids were trans or gay or lesbian or bi. Right. And I, I think it's important to know that we hear a lot of times about people who come out and the parent or the family says, oh, yeah, we already knew. And that's great. And that definitely happens. But there are kids that come out and their parents and their family who are accepting, who have already gone to pride festivals and, you know, are still kind of surprised that that is their kid, you know, because it happens to other people, but not to me. And I think that 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 is interesting. And it's worth making a note. of. And it's everything is different when it's your kids. So no matter how accepting you are of LGBTQ plus people in general, when it hits home, and it's your own family, it's different and not not bad, just mm -hmm. different. Yeah, for sure. I also thought it was interesting what Stacy was talking about in terms of trying to understand, because there is definitely an aspect of 
being trans that if you are not trans, you will never completely understand. You just you just can't. It's similar to the way that I do not understand how people can pick a gender and be like, this is the only gender that I'm attracted to. It makes no sense in my brain because I, I literally cannot wrap my head around that figuring it does that make sense but that well, is because you're bisexual exactly so we all have things that we understand and that is our reality and it is so hard to, to put yourself in a different reality a different completely different mindset but i liked her two examples of like attempting to understand um she talked about both being left-handed and how that's just innate and you know understanding that because she's left-handed okay so my kid is trans and it, it it's not my experience, but you know there it is. I couldn't imagine trying to write with my left hand. I, no. And I, I and I talked about this in the interview when I was growing up. And again, that's because I'm what am I, Kalia? Old. Older, <laughs> older, not old, older, because I'm older than Kalia. So when I was growing up in the in the late '60s, early '70s, being left-handed was looked at as almost a mutation of a kind, and you were not only shunned for being left-handed and ridiculed in a way you were in fact urged to teach yourself to be right-handed don't be left-handed you need to be right-handed then they would make kids write with their right hand so that they didn't were no longer left-handed it was looked it was incredibly negative i know it's hard for people now to understand that but that's how it was it's really interesting because i've read things written about that different time period and even earlier and there was a connotation of it being evil like the left hand was the right. the devil's hand and and your right hand was was your good hand but it's so right. bizarre i don't i don't remember there ever being anything in the bible being up oh left-handed people are clearly <laughs> well, demonic I like there i don't know be. that seems so strange but then then i think about how there are certain cultures where you eat with your right hand and you wipe yourself with your left hand. So like that in those cultures, the left hand is dirty. And so if you ever reach across the table with your left hand, that's really, really bad, but that's not American culture. Like we eat with both hands, you know, like, but I mean, but if you look at it, um, left-handed people are about 10% of the population. So if you look at that in terms of LGBTQ people who have always been looked at, I know the numbers differ all over the place about 10% of the population or a little less. You know, it's the same kind of thing. It's about being different. It's not about whether it's genetic or biological or whatever. It's just about being different. People have always been afraid of what's different, even if it's something as stupid as your left-handed versus right-handed. Did you know that Obama, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, and Gerald Ford we're all left-handed. Yeah, and in fact, I want to bring this up. When we were, when I was out there, you know, doing um, narration for the kickball teams. <laughs> yeah, right drink, drink, Tiana, drink. Um, I noticed at one point, I forget what team it was. It was one left-handed person after another that was up there kicking the ball. Which I assume, if you're left-handed, you're left-legged, right? I mean, it's, it works the same way. I don't know i kick with my right leg because my right knee is weaker and because i lead off with my left like if i'm standing still and i start to walk i will always start with my left foot you're not left-handed no but i i did drill for a number of years and you always start marching with your left foot i don't know why but that Hmm. is maybe i'm wrong i would love to know if if you're left-handed does that mean you're left-legged i don't know that is legged legged but i yeah anyway I, i just noticed that so yeah. And you know, when I noticed that, it was during 
kickball. I'm drinking again. <laughs> what are you drinking? I'm drinking Seagram's and Diet Coke. Okay. I don't Diet know Diet Pepsi, that is. sorry. Oh, Whiskey wow. and Diet Pepsi. Gross. What's your drink, Kalia? What's your drink? Right now, my summertime drink is cucumber, vodka, and 7-Up. Oh, aren't you precious? Cucumber, I... vodka. Do you make your own cucumber, vodka? No, I buy cucumber, not $40, but you can buy a bottle of cucumber vodka from BevMo and then 7-Up. You know, you can just get vodka and put cucumbers in it and put it in the freezer and it turns into cucumber vodka, which, you know, you get you drunk and gassy at the same time. I'm just (laughs) saying, which I, I, okay, I don't want to go there because it's probably true, people. It's probably true. Cucumber does not make me gassy. I will just tell you that. It does me. I can tell you that. That's why I don't need it. Stay over there with your whiskey. Okay. And my my gas. We're going to move on into our next interview, which was with Jane. Jane's story is a little bit different. The coming out was not a surprise. However, their family had to move a few times. And so she talks about that and about... Um, some of the earlier signs of their child, Lou, them not being so surprised. So without further ado, our interview with Jane. Hi, welcome everyone. Today, we're going to be talking to Jane, who is going to be talking to us about her son, Lou. Welcome, Jane. Hello. So do you want to tell us what your situation is? I have a transgender son who is currently 19 years old. Okay, well, let's let's start with how did this family member come out to you? When did it happen? How did that all take place? So how did it happen? It was very in steps, I guess I would say. Um, when Lou was in kindergarten or first grade, he asked me one day, we were driving into town. He said, mom, is there a way to make my body a boy body? And I said, yes. And he said, how? And I started talking about it when he was, he reached a point where he said, that's enough. And I said, okay. And that was the first time I remember him articulating something about his curiosity about why his body was one way. And was it possible for his body to be another way? He actually came out to us specifically when he was in fifth grade. And we were just, you know, it was bedtime or something and we were cuddling and he's in the dark, you know, I'm a boy. Right. And I said, yes, I know. And the next day we started looking for how do we, what do we do with that? What is, and, and we're all about the science. So we called children's national hospital and they have a gender clinic for a pediatric gender clinic. And we started going there. And that was just before our move to California. Okay. So can I ask you, are you and are you and your husband members of the LGBTQ plus community or no? No. Okay. So you said you're all about science. Um, how old did you say your son was when he asked you that question? The question about how do I become a boy? When was that question? That was either kindergarten or first grade. So I appreciate that your members, your your parents who adhere to science, I don't know if you have LGBTQ plus friends, if you had connections with the community, but how did that not seem to surprise you? Because it seems like years later you said, yeah, we know you're a boy. Tell me about that. Oh, well, I mean, there were always, there were always signs. Um, so Lou played like any kid, you know, there wasn't really anything that was female or male about his play. His play was always kind of gender neutral. I would say he would play school with his stuffed animals. Um, 
he did for a really long time have an imaginary friend. And I don't know how that factors into it, but that friend was a boy. But let's see, he always wanted to shop in the boys section. I have a little bit of guilt as a parent now in that I tried to like nudge him towards the girls section and he wanted his hair cut short. And then when it was cut short, um, I would always be asked, is this your son? And I have guilt for saying, no, this is my daughter because I can't imagine how that made him feel. But it was, you know, we were getting there. Um, I think the point at which I knew for sure was a haircut. One day we went to get a haircut and I, to the side, asked the hairdresser, could you make it short, but do something that makes it appear a little more feminine um, to help with this questioning? And when it was done, he looked at me and I said, do you like it? And he said, yeah. And we got home and I heard him upstairs crying. So I went upstairs and he said, I know you wanted me to like it, but I hate it. It's not what I wanted. And I said, come on, let's go. And so we went back and I said to her, I don't mind paying again. You, if he wants it green, purple, buzz cut it, I don't care. You do whatever he tells you to do. I'll be back in 30 minutes. And I walked out and just kind of let myself digest all of that. And it wasn't digesting that he wanted the short haircut. It was digesting what I had done more than anything. Because what wants to make their child feel the way I found him feeling in his bedroom. And um, and that's when I knew, knew. And we were just waiting. When, um, when he was in sixth grade and he told us, we then went to the school counselor and talked to the counselor about um, what he was going through. And but anyway, those were the those were signs that led up to it. He the clothing, the appearance, the look on his face when people asked, is this your son? You know, and then got the other answer. Right. So those were all signs. And it was hard to tell, you know, my my well, my daughter, my only daughter, when she was young, also wanted to wear boy clothes and cut her hair short. And we didn't know if this was the same, but there was a point at which it didn't feel the same. It wasn't just an emulation of their older brother or tomboy type of phase. But was there LGBT family members or uh, community? Is that kind of where he got that sense from you and your husband that he was going to be okay to tell you and that this was an okay thing, do you think? Well, we have gay friends, but not people who live near us and we interacted with on a day-to-day basis. And I have a cousin who is transgender, who is significantly older And Lou had never met them. But I imagine there were times when I talked about them from time to time, but my cousin wouldn't have been a common topic of conversation in our household. Because while I love my cousin, we just, we don't live in proximity to one another. We wouldn't be part of each other's day-to-day conversations. We've always tried to create an environment where our children feel comfortable coming to us. I'm so grateful that Lou felt comfortable enough to to say it, to say it out loud and to, and to allow us to help him on the journey. And I, and I can only say that despite the guilt issues that I talked about before, that whatever happened leading up to it wasn't so damaging to him that he felt like he couldn't come and talk to us about it and let us help him. So let me ask you uh, a, a follow-up because I think it's really important what you said earlier. You said that with your daughter, you saw some signs of tomboyishness, shall we say, or she wanted to dress in boys' clothes and cut her hair. But at a certain point, you didn't feel like it was a transgender issue. And I assume 
she didn't bring it up to you. So I think this is really important because there's whole conversation going on out there about parents who are indoctrinating their children into being transgender simply because at one point they indicate in some small way that they might feel like the opposite sex. So it happened with your son and your son is transgender, but your daughter who indicated this to you, whether in just physical characteristics, and I, I assume she never mentioned anything, you came to understand that that wasn't about being transgender. Can you explain the difference there? I think there are several factors that, well, I will say <laughs> there was one time, my, my older two are closer in age, only 17 months apart. And when they were little, they used to bathe together. And the point at which that stopped was the point at which my daughter asked me, when am I going to grow my penis? And, <laughs> and I said, well, you, you won't be growing a penis, you know? And I just kind of left it at that and said, you have, you know, you have a vagina, your brother has a penis. That's just how you were born. And, um, and she didn't ask anything about what, like what Lou asked, is there a possibility? Are we able in this world to change that? There were a couple of different factors, I think. For one, her play didn't change, I guess. There weren't, I mean, she had very over, you know, it's it's all a construct of some sort, but she gravitated toward the societal norms for females, I guess. She had an extensive collection of dolls and baby dolls. And, and while Lou played with baby dolls too, briefly as a toddler, a small child, the play changed. And I don't, that's a really hard question because my daughter just kind of morphed out of it as easily as she morphed into it and became interested in not dressing like a boy. But at the same time, I mean, she's a grown woman now and she still wears t-shirts and, and sport shorts, you know, and, and that's okay for her. But when you reverse that situation, of course, for boys, it becomes, people get upset. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What about the extended family? Was Lou's coming out a big announcement thing? And what was the response? Did you have family members pretty quickly adapt or has there been friction? Oh, well, they pretty quickly adapted. Um, what we did was we wrote an email to all of our near and dear family explaining the situation and telling them that while we love them all very dearly, and would always love to have them in our lives if they could not embrace Lou for who Lou is, that we, we gracefully say we will not be able to have contact with you because we, we would not want you to be around our son. And we said it in the nicest of ways, of course. And, and everybody gave it the nod. My mom, um, who has since passed away, did say to me, are you sure he's just not gay? Do you think he's doing this because you talk about things like this too much? <laughs> She had all these ideas and the discussion of transgender children wasn't really a discussion in the household, you know, prior to Lou coming out to us. So I guess in her own way, my mom was asking me, did you indoctrinate? This? Yeah, <laughs> said, exactly. Well, yeah. And I don't think she meant it that way. I think she was genuinely curious. She was older. This was new to her. And, but she was also one to avoid conflict and she's the only one. Well, and so his older brother had a hard time um, at first. I can remember him when we told him that the doctors had told us to let Lou start playing around with names that fit him. And we were driving home one night, just the two of us, his older brother. I mean, it was 
didn't know, kind of started crying, kind of started getting mad and, and said, people like this have been molested in their younger lives. People like this, you know, and so his concern immediately went to somebody had abused him at some point. And, and I said, I said, that's not true. I think like your dad and I, maybe you need to read about this a little bit and, and go to what research is out there and, and try to figure this out. And he made me pull over so he could walk the rest of the way home. But he said something like, I can't believe you're letting him do this. And he just couldn't wrap around his brain that it wasn't something we were letting him do. It was, it is just who he is. And that it, you know, we didn't feel it was fair for him to have to go through life always feeling bad about himself. At one point, I don't know if I said this before, it was before he came out, Lou was in the shower and um, needed a towel. And I walked to the bathroom with a towel and cracked the door. And of course he blocked his body and I handed him the towel and jokingly said, you know, I gave birth to that body. I've seen it before. And he said, it's not that, it's just that it's so hideous. Now he was probably, I can't remember if that was late fifth grade or early sixth grade or the summer between but that broke my heart. I mean, I think I went and cried somewhere because normally, I mean, normally, and that's even a bad think about that statement, the issue that children who are biologically female have with their bodies is, oh, I'm not skinny enough. Oh, my breasts aren't big enough. Oh, you know, I have a pimple or I'm not as pretty as, as that female or this female. But my child was looking in the mirror at a very young age and thinking, I'm hideous. That was heart-wrenching. It sounds like your husband is on board with you, but since we're not talking to him, I, I don't know. Is he just as open to all this as you are? And did either of you have any thoughts at any point? Oh, we, you know, we screwed up. We mistreated him. We, you know, we didn't teach him the right. Did you have any of those thoughts that, that indicated that this was something that had been thrust upon uh, Lou and not came from Lou himself? Never. I don't think either one of us ever. No. I mean, we said from the beginning, as an educator, I know the statistics for children who are different in this way, whatever that way may be within the spectrum and the risk of suicide. And we both agreed we want a happy, healthy, productive human being. And we, we, we don't care. We don't care how. I mean, if this is who you are, this is who you are. We could give two flips. It's, it's just that we love you and and we want you to go through this life in this world being who you are. And that's it. And we've both been on board from day one. I would, I can't fathom, I can't fathom turning my child away and turning them away, away emotionally um, or physically. And I don't know, I just can't imagine what kind of parent would do that. What kind of parent would do that? So I know that because we've talked that your family has moved several times in the course of Lou's life. And I'm wondering how that has affected Lou's transgender um, journey. Was it easy to get access? So the year after Lou came out, we did make a big move um, to the Central Valley of California. And we were recommended, we were situated, I guess, by the Children's National Hospital in DC with the UCSF Bernie off, I think it's called children. I never know how to say that the children's hospital in San Francisco, um, sister programs and started going to that. And I will say that 
having to travel from the Central Valley to San Francisco for the appropriate pediatric care, that was a little frustrating, time consuming, expensive. I mean, I didn't, I would have, you know, had I not been able to afford it, I would have put it on a credit card. I would have gone into debt for it um, if it was what he needed. I don't care. I thought that it was a shame that there wasn't something. I mean, there's this big children's hospital there, but there didn't seem to be anything there for this specifically. Are we talking, are we talking Valley Children's Hospital? Yes. Okay. And I don't know if you have something now, but at the time there was not a pediatric gender clinic. And um, while they might've had endocrinologists and all of that, there wasn't a comprehensive place um, that provided therapy, that provided access to resources for him. So everything, that was the frustrating part for me as a parent was the access. So having to find a therapist to meet his needs. I mean, he bounced between one, two, he had three different therapists while we were there, actually four, because one of his therapists, unfortunately, passed away in the midst. But trying to find, and there are people in the Central Valley who are, are therapists, but there aren't enough for sure. And there definitely aren't enough for children um, under the age of 18. So that, that was in, an interesting journey, finding the right therapist. What year was this that you were trying to find the therapist at Valley Children's and was it, were unable to? It was 2000, was it 2016? So not that long ago. No. So that journey was kind of difficult and very time consuming. And, and there were other issues at hand too, like extreme OCD and things like that. So there, were, there was a lot going on um, for a while there and it was very intense, but there was never a question that we wouldn't find the resources and the solution. We would have gone to you know, hell and back for that. What about support for you and your husband and the other children? So I think as a family, we all came together. And I think my older son's final revelation happened when he was, so my older two children were in college when we moved to the West Coast, they were on the East Coast and they would come out to visit. My son was out one summer and brought a friend with them. And when we moved to California, Lou Lou in California is only known as a boy. No one ever knew him as anything other than a boy. And that was, you know, we felt very fortunate to be able to do that. And my son came out and brought his friend with him. And it was early on because we explained to him, you know, people here only know him as Lou. And, and he said, so his, he hasn't told his friends. And I said, who he tells is up to him. So as far as I know, every single person here only knows Lou as Lou. And I was in the car with my son and his friend. And he said, that would make me so mad if I found out. That would just make me so mad if I found out that my friend had lied to me like that. <laughs> and I said, well, he isn't lying. He is who he is. I said, but let consider it like this. And his friend was in the backseat. And I'll call his friend Tom. I said, what if Tom said to you right now, I have a vagina? Would it make you not friends? And he just kind of looked at me for a minute and he looked at Tom for a minute and he looked at me for a minute. And he's like, okay, okay. It wouldn't change how I view this person. I think that was kind of an aha moment. We have not gone to any kind of therapy as a family for this, nor have we as a couple. I think probably it would have been a good idea because there was a lot of stress, not stress about not wanting this or anger or frustration about that. Any, any frustration came from the difficulty in keeping consistent services 
for Lou. And all of our energy really was spent into that. And I, and I always felt like there just wasn't time to think about us because we were all okay. We were all okay. Ultimately, it was just the stress of the systems in place, the insurance, those systems caused a lot of stress. Okay. So we've talked about school in a roundabout way. I would want to ask you about Lou's school interaction. You said that his friends didn't know about him. So I'm assuming, and I excuse me for the terminology, that he could pass looking as, as a biological male. So was there an issue with school with pronouns or with access to bathrooms or anything like that? No, um, no. And I have to say that the while there were many faults with the school system we were in, that was not one of them. We went to the, when we first got there, we met with the elementary school principal and assistant principal and school psychologist and talked about Lou. Because so when we moved there in California, a lot of places, I don't know if it's all, but a lot of places have sixth grade in elementary school and then seventh grade starts middle school. And when we were, Lou went to a very big middle school the year that he was on the East Coast. And it was very stressful for him in that middle school. Some things happened that were very stressful. And in California, it was a smaller school system. And while Lou had had a very good sixth grade year academically, probably one of his best, really, we gave him the option um, because his stature allowed it. We gave him the option of going to elementary school and doing sixth grade again in order to make friends and kind of acclimate with the big move or go ahead and jump into the middle school, which still wasn't big, but might not have the same environment to make friends. And he opted to do sixth grade again and make friends. And I, and I think that was a really good decision because it gave him a chance to acclimate. It gave him a chance to mature a little bit. um, And it gave him that chance to make some really good friends before he went over to the middle school and was in that environment. The, um, when we met with the, elementary principal originally, <laughs> I, this is something I hate to admit, we were meeting, Lou was not with us, and we were talking about him coming in as a boy because we had to give him his birth certificate, right? And nothing had been changed. And, and I started crying and I said, this is what, so let me backtrack a little bit. When we were at Children's National, we were getting ready to move. We talked about this move. And that's when Lou said, I just want to be Lou when we go there um, because the doctors had asked him and they called it stealth. He wanted to be stealth. And um, I will say if of the things that were hard for me at first, that was because I had this sense that I was lying to people and I couldn't, and I know I wasn't, I know I wasn't, but it still felt that way a little bit um, at first. And I said that in the meeting and I started crying and, and the principal said to me, we're not lying to people. This is who he is. This piece of paper doesn't make that a lie. And I, I don't know why that reassurance was so good for me. I needed someone to say that to me, I guess. And from then I was fine. And they, they agree. And even though it wasn't about me, I wasn't going to change it, you know, just because I felt that way, I would never have betrayed Lou in any way. But the principals kept the birth certificates in their office. Um, It was never out where secretaries could see it or anyone else. And then when we transitioned to the middle school, we had the locker room issue for Jim and changing for Jim. And so when I met with that 
principal, he did the same thing with the birth certificate. And he said, you know what? We have changing rooms in the girls' locker room. And there are boys who don't like to change in front of other boys. And they go in the coach's office. And he said, and that's kind of ridiculous. We should have changing rooms in there. We'll get it done before he starts. So that was, that was never an issue there for him. Thank goodness. That was my, I have to say as a parent, that was my biggest fear was a boy's locker room and behave in a middle school locker room or even in a high school locker room, shoot, even an adult locker room if they're on a team, but you know, so that was nice that, that they did that. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's amazing. And you don't hear that kind of stuff from the central Valley always. So it's, it's nice to hear that that was yeah. the experience for sure. And and you moved again, right? So were you guys then moved back to the East Coast. And I know that you told me at one point you had to decide where to, to live based on the, the safety of the different states. Can you talk about that for just a second? Yeah. Um, when we decided we were going to move back to the East Coast, Lou was still barely a minor, um, but we knew we had some medical things to address. And so we... Um, we use the transgender law map to guide us. My husband did apply for, there was one job he applied for that was outside of that map that happened to be in an unfriendly state, but a very friendly city within that state that we both had lived in before and, and thought we would like to go back there if, if that's an opportunity. But then right in the midst of that, the politics in that state shifted um, even more dramatically and we decided even though he was offered a job there that we were going to pass and wait because we wanted to move to a state that allowed, that wasn't going to interfere with who he was. Um, The laws weren't going to interfere with who he is. I want to, I want to just say that, you know, when you were talking earlier about, you know, when people, your, your other son and maybe other people said to you, do you think you did something? Do you think it's because he overheard a conversation? Do you think ABCD? This is what, people of my generation heard because we were gay. That was the same exact same conversation that came up because I revealed to my family when I was 20 that I was gay. Do you think it was this, this, and this? It's it's fascinating to hear that, you know, as we're slipping back in civil rights issues in 2023, we're also slipping back to a narrative that is 40 years old that we heard many decades ago. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. And um, you can imagine as a parent, how frightening the current state of the country is for me as a parent for him. In fact, he's an adult now and he just had top surgery. And while we had his gender changed on his birth certificate, we could not under his name, the state in which he was born required confirmation from a surgery. So a surgeon that gender conforming surgery was done before gender could be changed. Oh, wow. So you just couldn't change his gender on the birth certificate unless he had a surgical procedure. I don't think so. Now, I don't know if when we were in California, when the judge ordered the name change, if we could have done it then. I feel kind of bad kicking myself for not investigating that more. But now that we're not there and I've looked into the birth state's laws, um, we have to have that letter, which we're hoping to get on Monday because that state is is making passing some laws that are, you know, right up there with the draconian stuff. As, as many are. Get that done before they change that law. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's on a fast track for us. I just want to kind of wrap up here and ask if you have advice for other parents who either might think that their kid may or may not be trans or 
has have had their child ask them maybe pointed questions and they're kind of waiting for the child to come out or or, or to tell them what would your advice be in a in a general way for those parents in terms of acceptance and moving forward and becoming okay with the loss of what you thought your kid was going to be and the, the actual reality of who your kid is. Oh, that's a real thing too. That loss of who you thought your child was. Um, although I think, I think that's in the beginning because I can't imagine Lou as anything other than Lou, you know? And, um, but I have pictures from before. Right. And, and sometimes I look back at those pictures and I don't miss I don't miss that other gender. I just miss that other little person who was Lou, right? And um, and I think I've settled in my mind that yeah, that was Lou, and it's okay. I love Lou like that, and um, and that's okay. That, but at first it felt like a loss. It did. It felt like you know you kind of feel like you're losing a child. And the the doctors at Children's National said that was very normal to experience for a parent because we talked with them privately and then all together. Um, my advice would be that. When your child asks a question, give them factual information about what they're asking and don't overdo it. Just do it in pieces that seem until they're satisfied. And if they seem satisfied, stop. And then later on, if they ask more, tell them more, but to never make them feel uncomfortable asking those kinds of questions or shaming them. I mean, or even when he said to me, I'm a boy, if I had said, no, you're not, you absolutely are not. Why would you say that? Or, you know, any of those things, I just can't imagine what that might've done to him inside. And so I would just say, be loving, be loving. You, you had a kid, you, yeah. you have children, you're rolling the dice. <laughs> and if you want to go with the God thing and say the argument, God makes no mistakes. Well, hell yeah. God makes no mistakes then. And, and this isn't one then because this is how things are and they're beautiful and we need all voices in order to create this understanding of each other as in this human experience. And however your child falls into that, be loving first and foremost and make them feel wanted and needed and important in this world. Well, Jane, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, we are so happy that Lou is thriving and so happy that Lou had parents like you. Absolutely. I hope any little bit of this helps some parents out there experiencing this. It definitely will. Thank you, Jane. All right. Good night. Okay. So thank you, Jane, for doing that interview with us. You know, it's, I, I, I like this, uh, what we're doing this month. I think it's really valuable to hear parents talk about their trans kids and how they had to react. And just so you know, we're not leaving trans voices out of the conversation this month. On our next show, we're going to have transgender people talking to us about their point of view of all this. What's interesting, and this is happening, it should be interesting to all of us, all people in the community, not just trans people and their families. Just this year, in the first seven months alone, we've had over 450 bills introduced across the United States that seek to limit or restrict the civil rights of LGBTQ plus people. And a lot of that is directed at trans people. So when she was talking about, you know, finding a place to live, and I'm reading this all over the internet with people who are, you know, leaving Florida and leaving Tennessee and leaving Alabama and leaving other places in the country that have restrictive laws to try and find a place where they or their families or their children are welcome. That's something we all need to pay attention to. As I always say, talk to 
our friends and family members who live in those places because they're the ones in those states that are voting the politicians in that are making these laws. It's it's so weird to know that we're in this great state of California and there are others just like us that are protected. And yet you just cross a state line. In other words, if we go from California to Arizona, we go from a perfectly accepting state to a restricting state. It's dangerous. The map that you can find of the human rights campaign is uh, it, it's very disheartening. There's an awful lot of red and the red is the law or policy banning gender affirming care. And then there's there's a handful of yellows, which is the law or policy banning is being considered. And then there's there's the gray states and there's a bunch on the East Coast and obviously California, Washington, Nevada, a little bit a little bit in the middle. So, yeah, it and it was fascinating to me when she was talking about you know, Jane was talking about when they were deciding where to move and her husband had been offered a job in one of the states that is red and they moved to a state that is gray because they, you know, it was important to them that their child would be safe. And I think she might've said this after we stopped recording, but she's very aware of the privilege of that, of being able to make that choice. It's not the option for everybody to, to make that choice or to leave the state, especially if you have other you know, familial ties or your, your support system. There are blue people in red states. There are blue cities in red states. And sometimes that just makes it even harder to leave because people feel like they have a responsibility to stay. Maybe I can change my state. We didn't really talk about it. And it's not on our outline, our very short outline, but Ohio's having an interesting election right now. And we'll, we'll talk about that. On the next show, we're talking to my sister-in-law, Kim Hensley, who um, I interviewed recently. And part of that was about the uh, state issue one in Ohio, which is whether to get, it would change the constitution. So instead of 50% of voters, you'd need 60% of voters. And the reason that's important in Ohio is because they're going to vote in the next election on abortion. Yeah. So the point is that it's it's all over the place. It's insidious. And also it's not easy for people. But it, well, we're very glad that people like Jane and Stacy exist and that they are able to take care of their children. And, you, and you're right. The, the half of the states, at least half of those states that are banning gender affirming care are in the South. And typically the South is poorer than the rest of the country. So these so a lot of these people can't do anything about it. They can't leave. Right. Again, we're looking forward to our next episode where we will talk more specifically about the trans experience with some trans voices, as well as a social worker who comes to us by way of, you know, P flag and trans emotion. And and we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up with that. But we also want to segue into a pitch for a September show while at the same time doing our segment where we tell you what to read and watch and enjoy. And this month, I'm going to promote the book, All Boys Aren't Blue. It is written by George M. Johnson. And we are so excited to say that we actually interviewed George M. Johnson. And we have that interview coming to you in September. And in preparation of that, we read the book. And the book is great. It's a memoir manifesto. It is really, really good. It is a very fast read, but it is incredibly important and incredibly profound. And what I really liked about it is that every chapter he's talking about some aspect of his childhood or talking about an important person in his life. Like the, the chapter about his nanny was, was very moving. And the chapter about his, about his mom, there's a chapter about his dad, et cetera. In, in all of them, he connects what his personal experience is to larger political issues affecting the black queer community. And this is a voice that we don't often hear speaking about his you know, relationship with his parents and his life. 
you know, his family was accepting that there was, he is a trans cousin, his brother's gay. Like there's a lot of that here. And it's a lot of stuff that uh, even in today's culture, we always think of, oh, there's not that many gay people in the black community. The black community hates gay people. And that's just not true. And it's important to realize that the people are more nuanced than these caricatures that sometimes get portrayed in media. So I loved the book. I, I found it very, very moving. He's very frank about some sexual abuse and then also some very positive sexual experiences that he has. It's very honest, very honest. So anyways, it was a really good book. I highly recommend it. I loved, you guys will hear the interview in September. I loved doing the interview with George because he is so fun to talk to and he's so much like me when we talked we talked at one point about you know do you he he was getting all this pushback on social media and he's like yeah i push back too which is just like i am kaylee is a little more mild-mannered than i am and i'm like i'm gonna take him on and i <laughs> i always take people on and it always gets me in trouble but you know it's hard to keep your mouth shut when you're in the face of prejudice and bigotry yeah and we'll talk more about the book when we showcase that interview next month so that's my what to read. I have a what to watch, but I think you also have a what to watch. What is your what to watch? So, uh, you know, movies, I know I can be critical people, but uh, so many bad movies out there. So instead, I've been streaming and, and, and I got to the point where I was regularly streaming things. And then I'm like, I paused for a while and I'm like, oh, I got to catch up. So now I'm streaming like six or seven series at once and I can't keep up with them. So I'm streaming The Bear is on Hulu. Oh, I love that. Did you watch the whole the whole I'm, series? I'm in the second season right now. Okay, I'm in the in the uh, toward the end of the first. The one thing I will say, and it's about a guy, a chef who is a top-notch, you know, award-winning chef who takes over a restaurant when his brother dies and leaves it to him. Um, I will say this. I almost jumped out of it after the third episode because the people are so loud and dysfunctional and yelling at each other the whole time. I told James we're watching it as he was watching it with me. I'm like, why are they always yelling at each other? There's one, there's a cousin in the show that is just a total asshole and he is just, he has almost no redeeming value and I, he may have no redeeming no. Oh, I will so. tell you that there's a point later in the first season where I was like, oh, damn it. They're going to make me feel bad for Richie. <laughs> oh, I knew it would happen. I knew it. I knew they were going that way because you can't sustain that kind right. of angst and anger from one character. Anyway, that's a good show. And I am watching Yellow Jackets, which I know I am late to the table on. I am almost at the end of the first season. That's on Showtime. And I cannot recommend that series enough. I'm also streaming Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Strange Yay. New Worlds, which this season season is i think a little weird i like it um, i'm loving it i'm i figured you would i'm sticking with it there's an interesting episode where spock turns human which is a really funny and and fun to watch and invasion on hbo max with uh, samuel L. jackson which is following the marvel movies in the in the line of the marvel movies which you know i have an issue with that because i you know what i hate I love sci-fi people. I love, I'll even watch bad sci-fi and I will watch bad sci-fi over and over. I love sci-fi, but you know what? Can we end it with the shape-shifting people who shape-shift into humans and then they shape-shift back into lizards? It's stupid. There's no real example of this in nature. It's just stupid. And they do this just so they can make the plot work. That pisses me off, but it's a very well done series. And Kaylee is laughing. I'm at me laughing right now. because What's... your complaint is that there's no. This isn't seen in nature. <laughs> it's not. 
because that show is basically there are sci-fi series that are okay listen to me there are sci-fi series that are so far over the edge that you don't care if reality plays into it then there are sci-fi where reality i prefer sci-fi that has a basis in reality i and I then, agree. And, and I, I, I get you, loose reality, but still reality. If you go too far over the line, I'm like, that is never going to happen in a million fucking years. See, and I'm with you because I don't know if you remember the show Heroes. Yes. Heroes started out and it, they, they tried to justify. They're like the next step in human evolution. And the one girl could like right. cut off her toe and then she'd grow a new toe. Because like we see like that. X-Men we see thing. that in nature, right? You can like regenerate, blah, 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 blah. And then they had a yeah. guy who could fly. He had no wings. He had no propulsion. He could just decide to fly. And I was like, I'm done. I can't. Like, I watched more. Well, which is basically to. Superman. I mean, Superman. But he's can an fly alien. And... That's different, Chris. But still, well, how can he fly? How can he just defy gravity, let alone hover? How the fuck can he hover? Because I don't he, understand see, it. He's in a comic book world, and I feel like there are just no rules. But this show was trying real hard to be with, like, the science. That was the cheerleader. Yes. Wasn't that and then the guy just yeah, jumped yeah, yeah. off the roof and, like, flew around. And I was like, no. <laughs> can't defy gravity exactly i don't get that that's where i lose it and i love superman movies but still that pisses me off when they fly because i'm like how are you flying yes. it doesn't make any sense so those are the shows i'm streaming and i'm sure there's seven or eight others <laughs> that i'm streaming now that i just can't keep up with them but there you go okay well real quick then my recent binge that i just watched was uh feel good it's on netflix it's two seasons but they're really short i think there was only six episodes in the second season and they're all really short episodes as well it starts off as a lesbian love story but then one of the characters maybe isn't a lesbian maybe she's not a woman at all maybe she's trans maybe she's not maybe she flies maybe she, maybe she, flies. she does not fly but she okay. you know um there's addictive personalities there's interesting family dynamics lisa kudrow is in it Oh. may may martin it's it's really good like i said two seasons you can binge it basically in a day it's super good so and you know one i forgot that i want to mention is good omens have you seen that one not yet so good omens which is on amazon prime i'm on the i just started the second season i just binged and i did not stop through the whole first season i thought it was and it's very tongue-in-cheek very funny very sarcastic it's about an angel and a demon who team up all throughout time starting with the dawn of time with adam and eve if you believe that shit and then go on all the way through time and they end up oh, i won't tell you anything because you might watch it but it's really good i recommend that one okay well that is a lot i feel like we're making up for the the summer when we didn't have as big of a segment with the watching and, and and listening and reading and enjoying. So that's about the end of our regular show plan. I mean, obviously we had a little bit of diversions with that Ruby Giuliani randomness and et cetera, but we've pretty much hit everything on our outline, except that we have a little bit of a sad news note that we are going to talk about now. I, I just thought it was really important to talk about this story. This was a New York dancer who this week was murdered in New Jersey, simply because he was voguing, dancing, voguing at a gas station. So he'd been out with his friends. They were gassing up the car. They were there. They had their shirts off. They were dancing. They were voguing at the pump, and they were just having a good time. And there was a Muslim teenager who was at the front of the store who saw this and engaged him, engaged them in a verbal confrontation. And then they went up to him. And in the video that you can see online, you can see them kind of coming up against each other, but you can't hear what they're saying. So, But there was some kind of verbal confrontation, and which led to a physical confrontation. And then the teenager stabbed this 28-year-old gay black man and killed him. You know, uh, 
again, I'm going to say I'm older than Kalia, but Kalia knows exactly what I'm talking about. All our lives, we have been faced with violence against our community for one reason or another. And many times when we go wherever we go, we have to look both ways before we cross the street. We have to look both ways before we go across the parking lot because you never know who's going to be out there. Even in California, where we have all our rights, and I'm legally married to my male husband, and Kaylee is, some people might go after her because she's bisexual and she might be hanging out with a bunch of women at a kickball tournament. So you never are sure wherever you are that something might happen. And I don't think these guys, I've watched the video where they were dancing. I don't think they had this thought even crossed their mind. And it shouldn't. That's the point. It shouldn't. We shouldn't have to censor ourselves from living our lives or expressing joy wherever we are just because we're afraid somebody might harm us. All of us have dealt with this our whole lives in the LGBTQ plus community. So we sometimes when we're in a safe state like this, we get we take it for granted that we're in a safe state and we don't always have to think about this. So these stories come out all the time. This one really hit me hard. It really, really bothered me. And it doesn't matter why it bothered me, but it bothered me because he was young. He was joyfully dancing. And this kid just decided, I hate him. I'm going to kill him. This is the danger we are running up against with all these bills and laws being introduced across, across the country and local and state politicians who were saying on a daily basis that we are indoctrinating our children, that we are sexualizing children, that we are a danger to society, and that we can't even have our sexuality or our identities mentioned in public schools because it will damage other children. We are headed in a very dangerous direction, and this man paid the price for it. So I urge everybody to, if you have family members or friends that are less than accepting of the LGBTQ plus community, or if they are accepting of a right wing political agenda that, you know, works every day to squash us, have a conversation with them, talk to them, watch the Tyler Childers video with them, and then talk about it afterwards. It's important that we have conversations with people on the other side, because if this division keeps going, we're all at risk. And if you have the means and the ability to donate to, there's a GoFundMe for this family for, to cover the cost of the funeral, that's a very specific give, but also giving money to the ACLU or the HRC or finding your local LGBT community center or local drag show or drag brunch. And if we don't have those spoons, then at least amplifying the story is also important. So post the story on social media and be loud in your sadness, because I think that that matters. Yeah. And on that note, we are going to wrap up today's episode. As always, you can reach us at it's a queer thing, T-H-A-N-G at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, find us on threads. We are there now as well. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would greatly value your input. If you like what we're doing here at It's a Queer Thing, please share us and tell your friends to listen. And if you really like us, you can write a little review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, because that definitely helps spread the word of mouth and our podcast out into the greater wider wider world so we look forward to seeing you in two weeks when we will be in the studio with a couple of other special guests all right you guys we'll see you next time thank you for listening be safe what year this was that your son came out to you you didn't make me do math well how old is, how old <laughs> okay. is your son now
20 now, so it was seven years ago. Seven years ago, so it's 2017 or 16, 14. Where am I? What? See, uh, don't ask me to do math today, but it was seven (laughs) years ago. We're in 2023, so that was 2016, right? Kalia, help. Well, 817. I don't know. I was told there'd be no math. (laughs) Okay, we all failed the test. We all have to go to detention today. I'm an English major. Excuse me. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that that explains it. 